In a week of wondering who to trust and just to whom we should listen, the common lectionary, which prescribes what reading to have by each Sunday in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it seems divinely inspired. We are still in the season of Epiphany, although it might seem like a long time ago that we celebrated the wise men arriving at the birth of Jesus, but we are still in the season of Epiphany to reflect upon the light that was revealed to us by Christ's arrival and the words in particular that he spoke. So in the coming weeks, Bill will be preaching from the Gospel of Matthew as he did last week and I am today. Today, the common lectionary prescribed in addition to those beloved words from Micah, it, it also tells us we should read one of the most beloved and oft-cited passages in scripture that you would commonly know of as the Beatitudes. It is one of the most commonly known, but that means it can be kind of dangerous at times. For those passages that are in scripture tend to be so familiar that we end up not really listening to them. And although we memorize them and try to etch them in our hearts as a way to guide our daily living, sometimes the familiarity becomes almost hypnotizing and we just roll over the words and we forget the power of what they are communicating to us. Another problem with such familiarity is we begin to think that the person who offered them Jesus is more like us than his words calling us to be more like him. So we have to wonder, have we dressed up these beatitudes and tamed Jesus to be what we want so that we're no longer startled by the truth that he speaks? Now, I'm not advocating against memorizing Bible verses, but I think we need to rest and settle in and let the Spirit move through us as we hear them. So with that, please pray with me. Dear God, in this season of Epiphany, silence the world around us. Shine your light on these words and into our hearts that we may grasp the truth revealed by your Son, Jesus. Tune us to hear your promises that in hearing we trust you and in trusting follow your ways, follow the ways of our Savior Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So now I invite you to listen to God's word as I read from the opening verses of chapter 5 in the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to them, and he began to speak to them and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds against you and falsely accuse you on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before them. Here ends our reading. Early in my corporate career, I left IBM and then went to the exact seemingly opposite. I worked for a very small consulting firm, and I worked for the founder and CEO. Joe was a guy who came from nothing. He had little higher education and was this real scrappy fighter from Brooklyn. 
He always seemed to walk around with his fists clenched and he was ready for a fight. His style was hit them, hit them with a hammer, make them pay attention, always fight for the deal, and earn respect with brutal honesty. His lawyers loved his thirst for litigation to protect and defend. And in a very short time, I learned that he was a risk taker such that I truly believed if he thought the payoff were big enough, he'd take a flying leap off the Brooklyn Bridge. He taught me how to take risks. He took pride in making deals by lobbing grenades into clients to expose how poorly their operations were, or he would threaten to go all the way up the chain of command to get what he thought needed to be said. He would win big, or sometimes he would lose in ways that would shut us out from a client for years, if not a decade. Now, at the opposite extreme was my buddy Charlie. He occupied the office next to me, and he was smoothly polished. He held a respected pedigree. He was this firm's spokesperson when needed. He built his relationships upon his Gentile nature and by golfing at Canoebrook and Balthasrall. But he would also back down from confrontations and as a result sometimes would lose and he'd hurt his own credibility in the firms. We lived in that firm with two exact opposites. So I remember very clearly one Friday afternoon or early evening, it was late, and I sat in Charlie's office lamenting some client dilemma, and I don't remember if it was trouble motivating the client team to do what they had committed to, or if we were at an impasse because we couldn't get into some, some data or part of the organization, but I knew I needed to do something. So he listened and we strategized. And as I left his office, I started to thank him, but probably one of the most confrontational things he ever said is he stopped me and he said, you know, you came into my office here because you knew how I would see this situation and the type of advice I would offer. Slow and steady, don't rock the boat. But you also knew that if you had talked to Joe, he would expect your strategy to include detonating some kind of bomb or confrontation. So you need to decide what you see and believe. Charlie was right. Our dispositions, our comfort level, and our responsibilities, they all shape the lens through which we look and they filter the truth that we see. Now, inspired by God, the prophet Micah saw the plight of the Israelite people and he blasted the elite by speaking the truth as he saw it. At that time, the top 10% in economic wealth had engaged in widespread and dishonest business practices. They placed false weights on the market scales. They deceived people into taking ancestral lands. And the list goes on and on of what they did. And in addition to what they did, they also did not care for the starving poor, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, all members of society that God commanded them to care for since the very earliest time. Perhaps aware of their shortcomings, these same 10% thought that they could atone for their blatant sins by offering some sort of measly sacrifice or ritual. In other words, they were attempting to buy off God and look good in front of others rather than, command, rather than embody the command to love as God commands us. They had corrupted the truth of living righteously for so long that they couldn't see the reality of what their lives were doing to them, to others, 
or to God's kingdom. So the prophet Micah took the big risk and he exposed their evil. He exposed their evil, but he also turned them back towards God by leveling a threefold requirement. The Lord requires you to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. Micah disrupted these affluent with the harsh truth that they were not God. And these requirements compelled them to not just feel sympathy, but to act, to act by treating and seeing others as beloved by God. Now this month, we have had in our e-news and we've posted a blog series on the three requirements that Micah proclaimed, reflecting on what does this mean for us in the workplace, Monday through Friday. Because it's Monday through Friday and all of the other places that we center ourselves with God, regardless of how much we might be swimming in a culture that offers little rewards or no rewards for justice, kindness, or humility. The founders of this church literally etched in stone this passage from Micah when the church was founded to remind a privileged community that what we earn or possess is not what matters to God. God requires us to love our neighbors, the poor, and those who've been denied justice. It's the windows in this sanctuary and the windows up in the Malat Chapel that commend to us brave leaders who had new paths and they sought out to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. And these windows are to inspire us to become leaders willing to claim God's truth and reaffirm it in this age. Now there's a new movie out, perhaps you've seen it, Hidden Figures. It's based upon the book by the same name by Margot Lee Shetterly, which traces the lives of three African-American women who were very gifted mathematicians who worked as, I quote, human computers for NASA in the early 1960s. Now, it shouldn't need a reminder, but let's just remember that at the height in the 1960s, it was the height of the Cold War race to space and also a heating up of the civil rights movement. Both the book and the movie showcase the need to see through oppressive practices of culture and politics and belief. Some of those beliefs that were hard baked into all of what we had in the workplace. But this movie showcases the courage these women and their desperately needed intellect, how much that inspired others to literally take a sledgehammer to break the walls at the buildings of NASA and to break policies to free them to work. At the time, it was scandalous. But they worked with white women to launch John Glenn into orbit and bring him safely home to Earth. Now, we love, I love, these compelling true life stories of those who are willing to risk saying no to the powers that be, as well as, I see things differently and I see it this way, and then stand up for their convictions. The reforms at NASA were small and large, but always disruptive. They were freeing, and they were literally life-giving for everyone. And we have never turned back. Now, in each of our four Gospels, Jesus' first sermon, his speech, or his first saving act will set the tone for the portrait painted by that particular Gospel writer. The evangelist Matthew wrote for an audience who understood the traditions, the stories, the laws, both of the temple and of Roman oppression. They also lived in a culture that was as hypocritical as the conditions that Micah had railed against. 
So just after Jesus cried out for the first time that he spoke, repent, the kingdom is near, Jesus then sidestepped the synagogue and the city square for his inaugural address. He ascended a mountain, he was symbolically close to God, and it is there that he taught his disciples to recognize that the first people to be blessed in the kingdom were those disenfranchised by ingrained prejudices that labeled them as unclean and unworthy. He included those born on the wrong side of wealth who no matter how hard they worked could not raise their families or themselves up from poverty. He included those who shouted for justice and kindness and humility the way that Micah preached people are to be blessed. Jesus taught the truth not as God's messenger but as God incarnate. He blessed those who were poor in spirit, the ones who had tried and readily admitted that they missed the mark, kind of like the prodigal son, who then found out that the father always loves him. Jesus blesses the ones who mourn since they have experienced what it means to be truly loving of someone else. And he showered with blessings those who are willing to be persecuted for believing in God and not some manufactured peace that others have passed off as the truth. And for those who've experienced what it's like to not be able to manage everything for themselves, who understand what total dependence upon God is like, Jesus blessed them. He wanted them to know that God will always dwell with them in the midst of their brokenness. Preacher James Howell writes, the ancients did not harbor a superficial, fun-oriented view of happiness or of being blessed. For this crowd, blessedness was a possession of the soul, Something one acquired and once acquired could never be taken away from them. Being blessed designated living in harmony with a human's deepest aspirations and in God's kingdom. Now on Friday morning, I thought I had finished this sermon and had written the following lines, so I'm actually quoting myself. (laughs) This is the truth. This is the gospel truth concerning divine favor. I still believe that's true. For those that know this to be the case, though, never again need to be intimidated by the wealthy, the haughty, the satisfied, the cruel, the crafty, and the violent. How naive could I be? On the anniversary of the International Holocaust Remembrance Day, marking the day survivors of Auschwitz were freed, an executive order closed the U.S. borders to refugees fleeing humanitarian crisis in war-torn Syria and imposed a de facto ban on Muslims traveling to, parts of the, traveling to the U.S. from parts of the Middle East. It's more than intimidation. Intimidation is the least of what these beloved children of God will face. Jesus taught that they will be blessed in their oppression, and Jesus taught us not to stand by while these dangerous decisions are made. God is blessing them and holding us accountable to our baptismal promises to teach and behave as Jesus taught us. Now this past week, we've been so challenged by the truth alternative truths or interpreted truths that we must question the motives behind the sources. And given that the lens filters any person or organization's version of the truth, we need to be skeptical. So now is the time in our lives to check the lens through which we see. 
We need to question if what we accept as the truth is what we want to hear, to comfort us, to confirm our worldview, or to recognize if that manufactured truth damages God's kingdom. Now is the time to listen to Jesus' disrupting and comforting truth. Blessed are those who hunger after integrity and thirst for justice, for they will be strengthened to stand up to oppression. Blessed are those who mourn for a world on the brink of losing justice, kindness, and humility, for they will be comforted by God's strength to speak out. And now is the time to hear the truth Jesus was willing to die for, as told to us later in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus says to us, Come you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation for which, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Truly I tell you, just as you did it to the least of one of these members of the family, you did it to me. Now is the time for our church, for that church, for us, to hold up the one truth that has endured since the beginning of our time. It is God who blesses the poor, the oppressed, the women and children, the outsider, the one who loves the other. This, this is our gospel truth. Amen. <clears throat>